0: The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Now, before we begin the message this morning, I have a little disclaimer for a few of y'all who have been uh, with me a time or two lately, and also possibly some that may have watched uh, on Facebook a couple of sermons that I've been uh, Uh, that I've preached in the past few months. Uh, For the past two or three months, i preached from the verse that I'm going to preach from, Lord willing, this morning at least four times. (laughs) And uh, I I don't think it's been the same every time, and certainly this morning I believe it's going to be a little different. But I will say that by way of disclaimer, but not apology. Because the Bible, once you preach on a verse, it stays in the Bible. And you can preach on it again. But this morning I've struggled a little bit about where to go, but I keep coming back to this verse that is found in the book of Ruth. So turn, turn with me to the book of Ruth, the third chapter, and we're going to read one verse and kind of take it out of its context, Just and we'll set the context right after that. But I just want to grab this one verse this morning and, and remembering where we are in our, in our experience with the Lord Jesus Christ Here today at Zion. Ten years of God's faithful guidance. Listen to this in Ruth 3. This is Boaz speaking here. Ruth Ruth chapter 3 and verse 11. And now my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest. Boaz is speaking to Ruth. Boaz is telling her something here that she really needs to hear. He says, first of all, fear not. That's a message we need today, and we need to hear fear not. I I don't know about you, but I have a lot of fears and a lot of trepidation in when I face the world out there. Whether it's my job, whether it's my relationships, whether it's my uh, friendships, whether it's my recreational, uh, the area of my life where I I participate in recreation or, or sports or anything like that, wherever it is, whether it's church, I need to be told, fear not. Fear not. Because there's a lot of fear out there. And he says, I will do to thee all that thou requirest. Now the verse, the, let, me, let me just set the tone here right quickly. Um, I think we all know that the book of Ruth contains many, uh, many types and shadows of the Lord Jesus Christ and his church, his bride. Ruth certainly in many ways, represents the bride of Christ. Boaz, in so many ways, represents Christ himself. It is clear from a reading of this book that it's certainly a true account of what exactly happened. But it's also a foreshadowing of what is, of what is coming and what the Lord Jesus Christ is going to do for his people. In a real way, we are Ruth. And Boaz is our mighty man of wealth, our... Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's happened to this point? I, I know we covered. covered, I preached through this book some years ago, but, but just to remind ourselves, what's happened? Well, what's happened is in chapter one, if you go back and read it, you'll find that Naomi, whose name means pleasant, she and her husband Elimelech um, were raising two sons and there came a famine in the land of Israel. There came a, they lived in Bethlehem of Judea. The very place where Christ would be born, they lived in Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem literally means house of bread, house of bread. And so they, there's a famine comes up in the house of bread, and in in, in in Bethlehem, and Elimelech has a choice to make: Do I stay in Bethlehem, or do I leave and go somewhere else? I want to say to you something this morning. That This is not the purpose of my whole message, but it's part and parcel of this message. There will be famines in the kingdom of God. There, you can't live in this life and not experience famine, even in the kingdom of God. There may be a famine of fellowship. There may be a famine of preaching. There may be a famine of some other sort in the kingdom of God itself. They were in Bethlehem. They were were right in the middle of the kingdom of God. And, And let me just encourage you, especially you young folks, don't forsake the kingdom of God just because there's a famine. See, they left the kingdom of God. Elimelech took his family. His choice was, do I stay here or do I go? He chose to go. He chose to go to Moab. Moab was a godless land. Well, it had gods, but it wasn't the right gods. It had a god named Chemosh. A god named Chemosh that required all kinds of ungodly things in their worship. They had temple prostitutes. They had all kinds of issues with their worship. They even the, the, the gods of the land in that day even required human sacrifice. They required their babies to be sacrificed in order to worship them in the right way. That, he was leaving the place where the true worship of God was. And he left there to go somewhere else. You know, I understand The fear, I understand. You couldn't be any more fearful than I was about 10 years ago when it came to the choice of do I come to this little hole in the wall, (laughs) little church, where there's only one member. Well, listen, I love that member. I still do. I love, I love Dane Lorraine. But, But it sure didn't look like much, did it? She did, but not the church. <laughs> She's the only member, and 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 we drive by here, and we think, my goodness, this church is going to. What are we going to do with this building? What are we going to do with it when Aunt Lorraine's gone? What are we going to do? Because clearly, God can't do anything here anymore. <laughs> Things look so much better somewhere else, and that's what happens sometimes in the kingdom of God. How many times have you heard? This? How many times have you heard? Well, you know, we would come there, but they've just got such a good youth group over here, you know. They've just got so much more for the kids over here. They've got a basketball court. They've got a softball. T- they've got, they got all these activities. Beloved, <clears throat> in the kingdom of God, we have all that we need. Amen. We have all that. What do you? The world's got the basketball. The world's got the soccer. The world's got all this stuff. There's plenty out there in the world. The, in the kingdom of God, when we come to the church of the living God, we're not coming to a place to play ball. We're not coming to a place to do things that you can find in the world. Here, there's something you can't find in the world. There was a man walking one time, we're told about in Matthew the 13th chapter, and he came across a field. And in that field, he found a treasure in the field. He found something that he could not find in the fields of the world. And you know what he did? He didn't say, well, let me go out here and try to replicate it in the world. (laughs) No, No, beloved, he sold all that he had. He said, this is worth everything to me. He sold all that he had and he bought that very field. Not some other field to try to make it look like this field. He bought the field that had the treasure in it. And he took it for his own. And he held on to it. You know what that's about? That's about the kingdom of God, Jesus said. That's a a story, that's a parable about what we have in the kingdom. We have a treasure here that you will not find somewhere else. I understand the temptation. I, I of all people, get it. When the famine comes and you see some bread over there, you say, I've got to run over there and get that bread. And you know, most people when they leave, they have no intention of staying. I'll be back. Yeah, yeah, I'm just going to go over here just for a little bit. I'm just going to go. I'll be back. The rest of the story of chapter 1 is that Elimelech never came back. He never came. He went down there. He took his family, his sons. and, And while he was in Moab, the land where there was not the true worship of God, his sons married Moabitish women. And most of the time, Brother Mackey, that story doesn't end well. Most of the time, that's the end of the story, and that's the last we read about that family. Now, this story's a little bit different. Praise the Lord. And by the way, that gives us hope, does it not, that all stories may be different. Even those where the forsaking has occurred and they've left because of the famine, you can still come back. See, Elimelech died. Elimelech died. His, his sons married these Moabitish women, one of whose name was Ruth. And then they died. And and we're told about midway of that chapter that they stayed. They didn't just go down there shortly and come back. They, They stayed 10 years. 10 years. A decade. They stayed in Moab as long as we have been here. Think about that. What happens in 10 years? Listen, I look out over you young folks that are out there. I look at my children. I look at you other children. I look at I still call you children, see. You know what's happened in the last ten years? You've gone from being ten to being twenty. You've gone from being thirteen to being twenty three. From twenty from fourteen to being twenty four or twenty seven or you've grown up. Children grow up in a decade. And as easy as it is to stay where you are, as easy as it is as you say, well, I'm just going to go down here for a few, just a few days or a few years, and I'll be right back before you know it, a decade has passed. And that's how long they've been down there. And something happened to Naomi down there. Naomi, whose name meant pleasant, got so jaded and bitter and blamed God for it when it wasn't God's fault. You know, God gets blamed for a lot of stuff He doesn't do in this life, doesn't He? How many people... I have to confess, I've been mad at God before. Have you? I've been mad at God. God, why are you doing? You know, when I get mad at God, the problem's not God, the problem's me. That's right. The problem is that I think God's doing what I realize from the Word of God He's really not doing. You know, the tragedies of life most of the time are not, all the time the tragedies are not God's fault. God is not doing what we ascribe for Him to be doing Some most of the time. And she got mad at God and she got bitter. She said, the Almighty hath dealt bitterly with me. I'm even changing my name to to bitter, Mara, which means bitter. But you know the, the rest of that story, how that somehow in the decade of being away from the kingdom of God, Ruth, the sweet little Moabitess, learned a little bit about the kingdom of God. And about the true God and the true worship of God. And when Naomi came back, the other daughter-in-law left. And Naomi discouraged them from coming. But Ruth had discovered a treasure in the field that she didn't know about before. But she knew about now. And she says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you live, I'll live. Where you die, I'll die. And your God will be my God. Oh, what a faithful statement. She was more, this little pagan Moabitess woman was more faithful than the the Naomi that had grown up in the kingdom of God. Sometimes we find that. I'm sorry to say sometimes those who come into the kingdom are more faithful than us that are already there. (laughs) I don't know if we take it for granted or what, but I'm telling you, sometimes they, I'll tell you this. (laughs) It's been hard for me to take for granted what we have here. Because I went so many years without it. Oh, I was blessed in many ways in the places I was at. But I've never been blessed like I've been blessed here. Never been blessed. That's not... It's been 10 years, you know. It would be easy to take it for granted. Because we're human, but let's not do that. It's still a little hard for me to take it for granted. But let's don't take it for granted. So Ruth comes back. And she gets there at the time of the barley harvest. (laughs) And bringing us on up to where we are in chapter 3, Ruth has just by happenstance gone to the field of Boaz. you believe that? I don't. <laughs> now I know what it said. Listen, I understand what her hap, verse 3 of chapter 2, her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging to Boaz. But notice that that was her hap, not God's hap. Okay? We don't one of the problems at this church, as you know, is that for many years, many decades, for nearly 100 years actually, the church had fallen into an error of believing in what we call absolute or the absolute predestination of all things. We, we, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that predestination, teaches the doctrine of election. But it's in a different way than what what it was understood in many churches for many years. Uh, The idea that God is is making all things occur according to His will, including sin. Beloved, God's not the author of sin. God does not cause sin. God doesn't play around with sin. (laughs) We, We don't... We don't believe in the absolute predestination of all things. But just because we don't believe in the absolute predestination of all things doesn't mean we don't believe in the providence of God. That's something different. And that's what happened for many years. Those things got confused. And many people, it's easy to confuse those things. But let me tell you, beloved, the God of our, that we believe in here at this church is a God of great providence. If you don't believe in the providence of God, what in the world are you doing here? (laughs) Think about the last 10 years. Think about how you got here. Think about how this church came back. It had to be the providence of God. Aunt Lorraine couldn't work it out. Brother Tim couldn't work it out. I couldn't work it out. I had it all wrong in my mind anyway. (laughs) I was going somewhere else. I had some other plan for me, but God's providence brought me here. Now, it was my help. it looked like. It looked like it was just happenstance. I just happened to come here. I just happened to, the church just happened to start back at just the right time. From our standpoint, time and chance happeneth to all. But from God's standpoint, he is working behind the scenes in so many ways. It doesn't implicate his predestination, but oh, it fulfills his providence. So her hap was to light on this field. And you know what she was doing there? It's the true welfare system. The only one that really worked ever. Where that in the ancient times under the law, if there was a widow, a widow was in bad shape in Israel and in the ancient Near East. If you, One of the reasons I believe Naomi came back is she knew in Moab they didn't have a plan to take care of widows. They didn't have a plan to take care of those that were orphans. But in Israel they did. In Israel under the law, Those who were rich, those who owned fields, those who had a place to reap the harvest, were told, you can reap, but don't you get every grain. If you drop one, let it go. If you miss a spot, leave it be, because there are those that are in great need that are going to come along behind you and glean in the fields. That's the way they were to take care of their widows. that They were to glean in those fields, and they did that. And she came back in the beginning of barley harvest. Barley harvest was the first thing to be harvested. The barley was the first thing to be harvested in the time of harvest. And it goes all the way up through the wheat harvest. We're told that she stayed with him through the wheat harvest. She happened, from her standpoint, to blight on the field of Boaz. And notice verse 1. I like this. Naomi had a kinsman. This is chapter 2. A mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Let me first just throw this in and no extra charge, Brother Mac. Okay. I want you to think about Elimelech and the choice he had about leaving. Boaz was in that land at the same time. Boaz wasn't just arriving on the scene. Boaz was there during the famine too. Boaz had the same choice. You know what Boaz chose to do? Boaz chose to stay. And notice where Boaz is 10 years later as as opposed to Elimelech and his family. Boaz is a mighty man of wealth. Beloved, if you make the choice to stay in the kingdom of God, in in the house of bread, during the famine, I promise you, you may not... I can't tell you exactly what you'll benefit from or exactly how you'll grow, but I promise you by the, ten, by the time the, the, the decade has passed, you'll be a mighty man of wealth as opposed to those that didn't stay. Listen, I feel myself to be a mighty man of wealth. I'm not all that mighty in myself and I'm not rich in myself, but I feel like I've accumulated great spiritual wealth over the past decade. I didn't have to be here. I could have chosen to be somewhere else, but I chose to be here. And beloved, I am better off for it. I hope you feel the same way because I'll tell you, the last 10 years have been a glorious time of accumulating uh, growth and growing in grace and knowledge. I got so many, so much farther to go, but uh, but praise God, I'm not what I was 10 years ago. I'm not what I need to be yet, but I'm different than I was then. Boaz stayed and he's a mighty man of wealth and and secondly and most importantly beloved you remember what i said about who boaz represents you and i have a mighty man of wealth you and I have a, mighty, a mightier man than wealth. In fact, he's the mightiest man of wealth. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He created this land. He, he spoke this world into existence. He, the the fingerwork work of, of his hands were to create the stars in the sky. everything you see for wherever you look it's all owned by him we we preach that we ought to give to the church we ought to give to God but not because he doesn't already own it we're just giving back what what he already owns (laughs) because he owns everything our mighty man of wealth Boaz and notice what happens Boaz comes on the scene here and In verse 5, chapter 2 again, he looks out on the field and he sees something. You young ladies, I'm, I'm thankful for your, your modest approach to the way you look and the way you act and the way you dress. So I'm not, I'm not preaching this really to anyone in this congregation. But I want you to notice what Ruth was not doing. Ruth was not primping. Ruth was not trying to find the tightest dress, the lowest cut, the highest cut, the the perfect hair. You know, the world, doesn't the world... I really feel sorry for you young folks, especially you young ladies, because what the world puts a premium on is looks, the way you look, the way you dress. I mean, I can't imagine being a young girl, a young teenage girl in the school systems today. My goodness, what pressure you must feel. And and the world always gets it wrong, every single time. Because what is important to God is not the outward appearance, it's not... The, the way your hair looks, is not getting the latest hairstyle or the latest shoes or the, 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 the nicest looking dress or the, the dress that is, is the least modest, which seems to be what everybody's looking for today. See, this Boaz, who represents our Boaz, didn't look out in the field and say, boy, she's looking hot today. <laughs> she was looking hot, <laughs> but it was a different kind of hot, Okay. We're told that when he asked about her, they said, she's been here all day. She just took a quick break at lunch and she's been working all day. How how good do you think she looked by the world's standards? Mm -hmm. She's been out there gleaning in the field. Listen, I've been, I've been, I've seen (laughs) my mother and grandmother, Nate Lorraine and others. I've seen them. I've worked with them in the chicken houses and I'll tell you, uh, they had to go, they would have had to go get cleaned up to go to a beauty pageant after that. (laughs) See, out there working like that, out there tromping around in that field, you're going to be sweaty. You're going to be hot. But you know what impressed Bo has? It wasn't the way she looked. It was the way she really was. It was her character. Read the 31st chapter of Proverbs sometime. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that pleases the Lord, she shall be praised. You see, this was a woman who was out there working. She was working for herself. She was working for her mother-in-law. She was doing what she needed to do. And he was impressed. <laughs> he said, who is this damsel? <laughs> Whose damsel is this? And he said, she's that old Moabitish woman. But you know, as we keep moving on up, we see that Boaz told her, she said, "said he he, he, he had not Brought her in and he talked with her and he said, Ruth, don't you go anywhere else. Okay. Verse 8 said, go not to glean in another field. Neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do read. In other words, you stay right here. This is the field I want you in. This is where, don't even look at these other fields. Stay right here. Beloved, our Boaz is telling us the same thing. He's telling us, stay right here. Beloved, praise God we've had 10 years. But in 10 more years, I hope you're still right here. I hope your eyes are still focused upon this very field, not some other field of the world. You can't improve upon it. You can't make it better what God has made. You can't improve on what God has improved already. You, You need to keep your eyes right here, Ruth, you need to stay focused on my field. And then he tells his workers to take care of her. And you know the rest of the story. Naomi says, okay, Ruth, this is your near kinsman now. You need to go down there and lay down at his feet after he's had this big celebration that's coming. While he's asleep, lay down at his feet. And when and when." Uh, he wakes up, you just do what he says. Now, that's another message altogether. Uh, probably wasn't the best advice Naomi gave her, okay? Because, you know, she said, okay, go down there. When he's good and, you know, buzzing pretty good, you know, when he's, when he's been drinking a little bit, when he's laid down after this celebration, you lay down at his feet and whatever he says to do, tell him, okay? And by the way, if you're Boaz... You better have already decided in your mind what you're going to do before you wake up with a woman laying at your feet, (laughs) okay? It's too late when you wake up after the celebration and there's a woman at your feet to decide then, well, I wonder what I'm going to do now. No, you need to make up your mind ahead of time, young men, that what you're going to do, that you're going to be pure, that you're going to stay true to the Word of God, that you're going to stay away from the temptations of the world. It's too late. When your head is in Delilah's lap, it's too late to make a decision. You're You're already in the mix and you need to have already decided by that point. But that's another message. So now... He wakes up, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And this is when he says, Who are you? She says, I'm Ruth. And then he says to her, she she says to him in verse 9 of chapter 3, Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. Now that's a weird request from us, from our standpoint. We don't understand what that means today. But what it meant then was, essentially, please take care of me. I can't take care of myself. Even in the Middle East today, there's some cultures where, when they get married, the groom will take a shawl and will spread it over the head of the bride. And the idea there is that he's he's symbolically saying, "I'm going to cover every need you have. I'm going to take care of you in every way." And that's what she's saying to him. She's saying, "Spread thy skirt over me." Uh, in other words, I want. She's essentially asking him to marry her. <laughs> Said, "I want." your protection i need your protection and by the way this is not a story about ruth getting born again that's not the type here she's already a child of god she represents that child of god that's already been born again and already knows that she needs a savior she needs somebody to take care of her notice what she's saying spread thy skirt over thy handmaid in other words boaz I, i need your protection I need you to take care of me. Beloved, let me ask you this question. Have you felt that lately? Have you had that feeling lately? In walking in the world, I don't know about you, I don't walk around very much in the world saying I'm 10 feet tall and bulletproof. Boy, I can take care of myself. Have you been feeling that way lately? Oh, I don't need the Lord. I'm good. I can handle this. I don't care what the politicians say. I don't care what the pandemic does. I'm fine. I can take care of myself. I don't know about you, but the last year to year and a half has not been a time of great confidence for me. I haven't looked around in the mornings when I get up and say, boy, I'm glad I got it all under control. Most of the time, most of the time, what I'm looking around saying is, Lord, what in the world am I going to do? so many problems that I see so many issues I have uh, you know we never we've had we've had trouble in this church we've had sickness we've had death in this church we've got problems in our personal lives. We've got problems in our work lives. Oh Lord, I'm not worried about my job. Uh, I'll I'll be able to make it fine. People have lost their jobs over the past year and a half. The economy has tanked. I don't look at the stock market and say oh well, I don't care that it's dropped a thousand points. I'm okay. No. I'm worried about things. I'm anxious about things. I need help. And I can't help myself. You know what what I'm saying to Jesus? Almost every day, Lord, cover me, cover me with Your garments. I need Your help. Now the question is, can He help me? Can He help me? You know, I realize that there's some great, high doctrines in the Word of God, and the doctrines of grace are great, theoretical, high. And, you know, you know, there. You can you can sit around and think about them. You can sit around and just. Uh, uh, ponder them but but the reason I love the word of God and the and, and the teachings that Jesus has taken care of us for eternity is that it helps me here and now. I need that kind of help. I don't Hey, praise God. He has saved me for eternity. He, I was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. But listen, my world now is rocked from time to time. The axis of my world shifts from time to time. I'll never forget 1999 when Sherry's mother passed away. Her dad had passed away in 1991 already before we got married. And then her mother had had breast cancer and had metastasized to her brain. And, and so for five days, we stayed... In the hospital, she and I, and her siblings, and some of her nieces and nephews, stayed at the hospital, at Druitt City Hospital, for five days, sleeping on the couch, expecting at any moment for her to die. And she lingered for five days. And when that fifth day came and she passed away, I remember driving home thinking to myself, it feels like the axis of my whole world has shifted. I've never experienced something that, that, that intense and that difficult. And I know some of you have experienced similar things. That's my experience. You've got your own. And, and the whole, it seems like the whole world has shifted. The foundations are no longer sure. I've had times when I've needed the Lord. You know, it's not, that's not the time when I could look around and say, Well, Lord, I'm glad I did what was necessary to secure my eternal salvation. That didn't help me one bit. <laughs> You know what I did then? I was able to say, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what is going on here. And my world has been shaken up. It feels like an earthquake has constantly been here. But praise God, I know you've saved me for eternity. Praise God. You remember last week we talked about what Jesus experienced on the cross. Think about that. Ruth is here. I need you. Boaz, I need you to cover me. Can he do it? One of the reasons I believe that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world and that He purposed our salvation, He sent His Son to die for us on the cross, one of the reasons that's important to me is because it helps me get through those times when the whole world seems like it's shifting sand. See, we need to understand what He's done for us. Can He help me? Ruth says, can you take care of me? Listen to what He says. I will do to you all that you require. That word require there means ask. Everything you're asking, I'm going to do. Can the Lord really help us? Boaz, can you really take care of Ruth? Well, our time's getting short, but let me just say this. He's already demonstrated His love for her. In fact, he loved her before she loved him, before she even knew anything about him. When she was out in the field, not knowing whose field it was, not knowing what she was laboring for, he saw her. Beloved, our Boaz loved us before we even knew he existed. He loved us before we existed. He loved us from the foundation of the world. Jeremiah says, Behold, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. That word everlasting there is the Hebrew word olam. And olam, everlasting, means not just going forward, but also going backward. From ancient times, from time before time, uh, He loved us. And, and guess what? It's everlasting. There are those that will teach you that, b- that based upon your conduct, or based upon your thoughts, or your, your whether or not you were sincere enough, you can lose your salvation. You can die and go to hell, even though He loves you, beloved. That wouldn't be everlasting, would it? <laughs> that wouldn't be everlasting. Praise God. What He loves us with is an everlasting love. And so when we find ourselves in the situation of little Ruth who is in a precarious position on the brink of starvation, on the brink of losing everything, including her life, can you take care of me, Boaz? Amen. He can take care of her. And our Boaz can take care of us. You know what He told His young men there? After, After He saw her, after he told her, don't you leave this field, he said to his young men, you let her glean even among the sheaves and reproach her not. You know, when you were gleaning in that day, you didn't get to glean among the sheaves. The sheaves are when they've, the reapers have finished their job and they've wrapped them all up and they've stacked them in a place. Now, you, If you went over there, they'd run you off because they'd be afraid you were going to take some of the stuff out of the sheaves. You were supposed to glean in the field where just the, the leavings were, the droppings were. He told his young men, he said, you let her go glean among the sheaves. Only in the kingdom of God, only in the field of our Boaz are we allowed... To glean among the sheaves. That's what we're doing today. That's what we've been doing for 10 years. We're getting to glean not just the little leavings out there, not just those little handfuls here and there. We're getting to glean among the sheaves of God's great blessings. Here we are in this place. Can we not see how God has given us a storehouse here? And we can glean in the storehouse, ain't Lorraine? We can be right here. Every Sunday, every Sunday night, every time we meet, we can be here and glean. You're not going to find that in the world. Are you going to lose your salvation if you're out there in the world and you leave this field? No, you're not. But you're not going to find those sheaves. And you're also not going to find these handfuls of purpose. Notice he said also, you let her glean among the sheaves and you also, you just lay a few on the ground. You just drop a few handfuls of purpose out here. Now this, listen, there are times when God blesses us in spite of our disobedience. But this isn't the story about that. Beloved, God blesses us because of our disobedience, because of our obedience. He blesses us. And He blesses us here in this field. If she'd gone to some other field, she wouldn't have found handfuls of purpose. All but in the field of Boaz, she found handfuls of purpose. You know what that tells me? That tells me that our Boaz Our mighty man of wealth, the Lord Jesus Christ, will leave us providential care here. He will care for us here. There will be handfuls of purpose that we will run into along the way of our life. Is this not proof of that? The fact that we're here today. Did we not find handfuls of purpose ten years ago as God began to bring this work back? You see, our Boaz is greater than Ruth's Boaz. And our Boaz is able to give, to, to do all that we ask. In fact, he tells us in Ephesians 3.20, I believe it is, he says, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Hey, I'd be okay with just above all that we ask or think. That'd be good enough for me, wouldn't it, you? But it's not just above all that we ask or think. It's abundantly above all that we ask or think. I'll take that too, Brother Glendon. But it's even better than that. It's exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Look at the superlatives in the kingdom of God. Look at how great the blessings can be. You see... Boaz, or Ruth rather, had come to Boaz recognizing she needed help, recognizing she couldn't help herself. And she said, Boaz, will you take care of me? Sometimes, don't we struggle with that in life? We say, Lord, can you really take care of me? Can you really help me through this problem? Can you help me through this great struggle? Can you help me through this disappointment? Can you help me through this loss? Can you help me through this grief? Can you help me through this sickness? Can you help me even through death? Our Boaz, like her Boaz, is able to do all that we require and more. And praise God, He has done it for us. And by the way, as you continue reading about... Ruth and Boaz here, you're going to find that Boaz does everything necessary to redeem her, to redeem her plot of land, to, to, to recover everything that she needed and to take her to himself to be his wife. And you know what? You, know, you no longer read about, you no longer hear about her after she marries Boaz. She's no longer Ruth the Moabitess. She's Ruth the wife of Boaz. Oh, how glorious. And you know the rest of the story there, even better. She's in the lineage of Christ. Her great-grandson is David, the king. Oh, the sweet little Moabitess woman who had no hope and no idea of what was waiting on her. Praise God. Her Boaz did all that she required. And I'll tell you this morning, beloved, your Boaz, my Boaz, will do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. He has done it already. I, if, if if He never blesses me again, He has blessed me for the past 10 years. What what more proof do we need? Yes, He's going to save us for eternity, but He's going to take care of us here and now. He has done that and continues to do that. Let us never forsake the field of our Boaz and let us stay faithful here that we might experience these handfuls of purpose that He gives to us every day. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.